Stay up to date and engage with the financial world. You're listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. It's no secret that the economy is not in great shape. With inflation at 40-year highs, the Fed hiking interest rates, and FedEx's CEO warning of a global recession, we're certainly in for turbulent times in the financial markets. Individual and institutional investors alike are watching their portfolio values evaporate before their eyes. But it's not just traditional investors who are feeling the pain. Perhaps the biggest investment loss will be borne by the Chinese government, and specifically their Trillion Dollar Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI for short. Launched in 2013, the BRI is perhaps the largest and most ambitious global investment fund, worth an estimated $1 trillion. It was billed as a way to lift developing nations, mostly in Asia and Africa, out of poverty, and open up new trade routes for China. Since the project began, they have signed deals with 130 countries to build power plants, airports, trains, and just about every other infrastructure project you can think of. The problem is, most of these loans went to the world's poorest countries, which have been hit the hardest by the pandemic and the global inflation crisis. In recent months, this has pushed countries like Sri Lanka and Pakistan to the brink of collapse. Many of these countries took on inordinate amounts of debt to fund megaprojects, with many of them facing serious questions about commercial viability. For example, Laos took out a $7 billion Chinese loan to build a massive high-speed rail project, with this amounting to almost a third of the country's GDP. In the past two years, $50 billion of BRI debt has entered distress, often with controversial terms. This is more debt than they had to restructure in the previous five years. With many BRI loan recipients now struggling to even feed their own populations, many of them will not be able to make interest payments to China. China has almost $1 trillion of outstanding BRI loans. If global economic conditions continue to deteriorate, they face the prospect of hundreds of billions of dollars in losses. This comes at a time when the Chinese financial system is already in bad shape in regards to the ongoing real estate crisis. The name of the Belt and Road Initiative comes from the ancient Silk Road a trading route which connected China all the way to Europe back in the ages of antiquity. In 2013, just one year after being elected president of China, Xi Jinping announced a new infrastructure project that would rival the Silk Road in terms of economic importance. There were two main goals of the BRI. Firstly, it would build ports, roads, bridges, and other infrastructure to connect China with large import and export markets across Europe, Asia, and Africa. As the largest manufacturing country in the world, trade infrastructure is essential for fueling their economic growth. Let's say, completely hypothetically, that Chinese companies want to export their goods to Uzbekistan. If the only thing connecting these two nations is roads, they have to transport these goods by truck, which is very expensive and may not be economically viable. If you build a cargo train, this will be far more cost-effective. While it may be very expensive to build train tracks over such a large distance, it will generate so much trade revenue that it will eventually pay for itself. And in the meantime, it will create thousands of jobs for both local construction workers and Chinese workers who come over to help on the project. And if anybody knows how to do large-scale construction projects, it's China. By now, China has overbuilt its domestic infrastructure to the point where there are numerous ghost cities furnished with skyscrapers, roads, and bridges. But no people. If you've already developed too much infrastructure in your own country, why not go and build in other countries that actually need it? In addition to building trade infrastructure, BRI provided funding for power plants, water, and all types of other projects which would help their economies develop. Many poor countries in Africa and Asia have very poor domestic infrastructure. 
The lack of infrastructure prevents economic development, and because of this, they don't have the funds to invest in this infrastructure. Thus, they are stuck in a cycle of poverty with no way out. In many of these developing countries, foreign companies view them as too risky or politically unstable. So there's very little private capital flowing in. With the Belt and Road Initiative, China comes along and says we're willing to take the risk of providing you billions of dollars in capital and also provide you with construction expertise. So it's no wonder that over 100 countries signed up for BRI projects, with many of them viewing it as a way to finally lift themselves out of poverty. And unlike many Western governments, who often paid lip service to helping developing countries, China put its money where its mouth was and invested close to $100 billion per year every single year from 2013 through 2019. And they had some very high-profile successes. For example, they funded a massive $3.6 billion railway in Kenya, connecting the economically important cities of Mombasa and Nairobi. It was a huge success, with over 1.5 million passengers within the first year of opening. The revenue generated from the project has more than been enough to make the interest payments on the loans, and the project has greatly benefited the local communities. If it's a win-win for everyone, why has there been so much controversy in the media about the Belt and Road Initiative? It's because not all the projects were as successful as the Mombasa-Nairobi Railway, and when projects are unsuccessful, it can lead to some unfavorable consequences. While some of the loans are subsidized with zero or near-zero interest rates, the vast majority are commercial loans from Chinese state-owned banks, carrying commercial interest rates of about 5%. To be fair, even a 5% interest rate is far lower than what these countries could get in a competitive capital market, given how risky they are. But when you're paying 5% interest on a loan, you don't have a ton of flexibility. And because these loans are often very large compared to the size of these countries' economies, if the projects are unsuccessful, they'll have no way of paying them off. Many of the BRI loans are collateralized. If you miss an interest payment on your mortgage, the bank can foreclose on your house. In a similar manner, if a country cannot make good on its BRI payments, China often has the right to take control of the relevant infrastructure projects. There have been a few high-profile incidents where China has taken control of foreign assets after these governments have failed to make their loan payments. For example, in 2017, Sri Lanka gave a 99-year lease for the Hambantota International Port to a Chinese company when they couldn't pay for the multi-billion dollar project. Another example is a case with Tajikistan, a poor Central Asian country bordering China. When they were unable to pay off their debt in 2011, they agreed to give China 1,000 square kilometers of their territory in return, which represented about 1% of their land mass. This territory had been disputed between China and Tajikistan for more than 100 years. It's a mountainous region with very little apparent economic or strategic significance, so it's unclear why China wanted it. But nevertheless, many in the media picked up on these cases as evidence of so-called debt trap diplomacy. The idea is that China is intentionally setting these countries up with so much debt, such that at some point they are bound to default. This is all part of a grand master plan to extract territorial or other political concessions to settle the debt. Given the anti-China sentiment building up in the West in recent years, the story of a cunning Chinese debt trap is a convenient theory to believe in. But is there any truth to this, or is the media just getting ahead of itself? In 2019, the research group Rhodium analyzed all the known cases of distressed BRI debt between 2014 and 2018. They found 40 cases where the recipient country could not afford to pay its debt. In the vast majority of the cases, the Chinese gave a favorable restructuring. This means that the debt was either forgiven or extended to a later maturity. There were only two cases that resulted in an asset seizure, the Sri Lankan port and the Tajikistan border dispute. 
Another thing that many critics point to is that many countries who received BRI funding conveniently cut off diplomatic relations with Taiwan. Was this a result of pressure from Beijing? Probably. But realistically, whether or not a bunch of African or Southeast Asian countries maintain diplomatic relations will make very little, if any, difference to the situation on the ground in Taiwan. If the BRI was really a scheme of debt trap diplomacy, it wasn't a very efficient one. After investing $1 trillion, all they got was a port in Sri Lanka, a thousand square kilometers of largely uninhabitable mountains, and some diplomatic support, which is frankly little more than ceremonial. But even if it's not a case of debt trap diplomacy, there is still a real financial risk for both the countries taking on the loans and China itself. One of the most extreme examples happened in Laos, a small country in Southeast Asia bordering China. Laos is one of the poorest countries in the world, with a per capita income of less than $3,000 per year. In 2015, Laos secured almost $7 billion in BRI funding to build a massive railway line connecting themselves in China. On paper, the project made sense. Laos is a landlocked country with very high transportation costs. This has limited the ability of their economy to develop. The problem is, the cost of the project represents almost one-third of the country's GDP. Another problem is that most of these loans are denominated in either U.S. dollars or other foreign currencies. Laos is a major energy importer. As energy costs have increased over the past year, their current account deficit has exploded, causing a massive depreciation in their currency, the Lao Kip. A year ago, it cost 6,700 kip to buy one U.S. dollar. Today, this has risen to 16,000. This means that Laos's USD-denominated debt effectively doubled, and their debt-to-GDP ratio sits at over 100% of GDP. This has caused the ratings agency Fitch to downgrade Laos's government debt to triple C-. This means that there is a very low margin of safety, and default is a real possibility. The problem is, most of China's BRI loans were given to high-risk countries. They accepted these loans because nobody else was willing to extend them credit. Now that the economy is in distress, countries including Pakistan, Sri Lanka, Kyrgyzstan, and many others with hundreds of billions of dollars in aggregate debt are at serious risk of default. In the past, China has been very lenient with BRI defaults, often extending maturities and even giving additional rescue loans to help countries that are unable to make the payments. But this is little more than kicking the can down the road. This has also caused the balance sheets of many Chinese state-owned banks to balloon with risky debt and it comes at a time when Chinese banks are already facing risks at home. About 25% of loans across the country's entire banking sector are related to real estate. This is highly concerning given the state of Evergrande and other distressed developers. We don't know exactly how much of the $1 trillion in BRI loans are held by state-run banks, but it is likely significant. Growing and restructuring this loan book indefinitely is unsustainable, and we're already starting to see the BRI running out of steam. In both 2020 and 2021, they only made $60 billion of new investments, an almost 50% decline from their investments in prior years. The fact that they're no longer as willing to make investments means that they'll also be less likely to provide rescue loans or extend maturities when recipient countries default. This makes it much more likely that they'll resort to asset seizures to mitigate their loan losses. The problem is, in most cases, the assets won't be enough to cover the loan losses. Many of the BRI projects are not and will likely never be commercially viable. For example, in the early 2010s, they opened a massive modern city in the African country of Angola. But the apartments were too expensive for the local population, and the majority of them are sitting empty. Critics refer to many BRI projects as white elephants. This refers to grand projects that look good on paper but end up providing very little in the way of revenue or economic development. 
One of the most obvious examples is the Lotus Tower in Sri Lanka. It cost over $100 million to develop and was meant to serve as a tourist attraction similar to the Eiffel Tower in Paris. Shortly after the tower was opened in 2022, Sri Lanka entered into a deep economic crisis and defaulted on its external debt. It's safe to assume that the Lotus Tower isn't going to make any profits anytime soon. Even for projects that would be viable in normal times, they will likely face severe losses in the short to medium term, as most of the recipient countries are facing severe recessions and massive currency depreciations. With the Lao kip down 50%, the value of the train in Laos is also cut in half because it generates its revenue in the local currency. Any way you cut it, the Chinese financial system will likely face hundreds of billions of dollars of losses on its trillion dollar BRI portfolio. As for the recipient countries, it is true that many will be at risk of asset seizures. But to be fair, in most cases, these assets wouldn't have existed in the first place had it not been for the BRI. While the BRI was not an elaborate debt trap, in hindsight, it was too big, too ambitious, and too risky. Now that the global economy is crashing, China is left holding the bag. You've been listening to the Wall Street Millennial Podcast. Don't miss a minute wherever you go. Wall Street Millennial, signing out.